And welcome to the Pre-Snap Motion Podcast, episode number 14. I'm your host, Chad Scott. With me, as always, is my friend, co-host, Rich Rebar. Rich, how's it going, man? Chad, what's the good word, buddy? I know that you finally have gotten a vacation, a much-earned vacation, based on all the you know time you've put in for us in the medical <laughs> field during this period. So, I mean, <laughs> how, how are you living on vacation, man? I'm doing great, man. Just got done golfing for four days. Um, did some social distancing, uh, but not really so much uh, out in Eastern Washington. Golf four straight days, and uh, I'm ready to be back in uh, in the swing of things. I've, I've, like I told you before the show, I've been kind of unplugged on on what's going on in the world of the NFL. Um, so today, I kind of I tried to catch up as much as I could, but. Uh, like I said, you're probably going to have to uh, give me the deets as we discuss um, in the episode today. Um, but before we get started on today's episode, just re- want to remind everybody to make sure you are going to sharpfootballanalysis.com, uh, going to get Warren's new book that uh, you, Dan, and Warren obviously uh, put a lot of work into. The, the reviews have been amazing that I've seen. Uh, everybody's loving the book itself and uh, what have you heard uh, about the book and and how it's doing and and the overall feel for what's out there right now so far the the word has been pretty good I think a lot of people are are happy with the level of detail it is I know a lot of people wanted to get color copies this year as like they did in years past but listen man blame Bezos uh that's all I could (laughs) say hashtag blame Bezos (laughs) blame Bezos but uh yeah I mean overwhelming response has been has been really positive and I'm grateful that it has been that way I really feel like it's a really good a good book and the level of detail and the amount of information in there is is really you know bar none compared to similar things you can get you know the the almanacs and stuff you can buy so i mean hopefully you know you guys pick it up and use it for this period that we're still trying to get through the stretch of the season i mean i know that the weekend seemed kind of dire you know with the news on sunday and all the players tweeting and you know the nfl kind of not agreeing by the joint agreement they had and kind of wanted to push the players into camp with all these protocols. But today the, the the news is a little more positive. And I mean, think what we're seeing from the NFL is that just old money doesn't surrender until the very last, <laughs> the very, the very last dying breath that they have, they won't acquiesce. Uh, and I think that's what we saw over the weekend. And now that the NFL PA has a voice now, which really is kind of the first time in our lives, the NFL PA has really started to show like a unified voice. Yeah. Uh, they're able to make some of these things happen and let the league know that this is the, you know, the 11th hour and that they're going to have to, you know, acquiesce and give some ground here on a, on a lot of player safety, uh, you know, stances that I think that they're trying to hang on to because they won, uh, you know, they want to hang on to that money, man. They don't want, they wanted preseason games and they still, I still get the vibe that they still have an illusion that they, they, they think they're going to have some kind of fan attendance this year, which I think that they should let go of that ghost as well. But uh, we're starting to see a little more positive trend, you know, just 24 hours later and it seems like that they're coming to agreement uh, for next week when, uh, you know, at the end of this week and then next week when basically yeah. all players will be coming into, uh, you know, some kind of training camp setting where they're actually practicing or not. Uh, but it looks like teams are going to, players are going to be at the team facilities uh, all within like a week or so. Yeah, it's it's exciting. Um, I know I know it. Uh, Twitter was a dark place there for for a little bit, as I've heard. Um, 
with uh, the uncertainty of what was going to happen in the in the coming weeks and the NFL season itself. But it looks like there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and before we get started with the rest of the episode, I just again want to go and say that um, you should also go to uh, the website as well and um, check out the fantasy package. Um, it's been free this whole off season. Everything you've done has been free for everybody to read and um, and and learn. But uh, that's probably ending soon. I don't know. We don't know. I don't think we know when it's actually going to happen. But make sure you're going um, over there right now and get that package uh, as you can. There's going to be an early burn on that as well, maybe, you know? Yeah, the, the early bird's going to run for a little while on that. I'm going to have, at the end of this week, I just finalized this for editing a, uh, you know, over 60-page PDF for tiers and player write-ups on everybody uh, that's involved in fantasy this year. And then, you know, also for anyone concerned, I mean, uh, we have like all our cancellation and stuff policies up and everything. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're definitely insured if something goes haywire <laughs> and this thing, uh, this thing falls off the rails. So they try to put it together over the next month uh, to six weeks. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's going to be time. We, were, we went and left everything open off, all off season. And, uh, you know, as the season looks like it's going to be more of a reality and these players come to camp. And it looks like the season's going to start. I mean, we will be making the change over to some of our, you know, subscriber content. Yeah. So, and what you did, um, what and what our, this episode is basically going to be about is uh, what we can learn for the 2020 season. Um, it's basically your series that's talking about team production, covering play splits, team scoring efficiency per drive, converting yardage into touchdown, team touchdowns team touchdown dispersal, and team red zone production. Um, so first, let's get started with what we can learn from the play splits for 2020. Um, game script. Game script has been um, kind of a part of, of fantasy Twitter for a few years now. Um, and what it does, uh, influencing maybe your start-sit lineups um, and whatnot. So let's go over, what can you, give us an overview on what we can learn from the play splits for 2020. So just on a, a league-wide trend, I mean, we've known that, you know, the, the league has trended towards the pass over the past decade, and 2016 was kind of the apex for that, but it's kind of, you know, it's still been high, just not as quite as high as 2016, uh, but it's it kind of you know, leveled off, and like that teams have shifted to basically like 58 to 59% pass from a league-wide rate, uh, but we know that really it's, you know, still driven by scoreboard. I mean, teams that lead more, run more and teams that trail more pass more I mean you know it's not much of a revelation to say that this day in the NFL but you know in NFL coverage but you still do see the causation correlation you know gaps sometimes misrepresented in this field uh you know but literally so just a quick rundown is I mean is that you really don't see play calling shift except for like two scenarios the end of first halves and then the fourth quarter so teams ahead on the scoreboard in bulk throw 49.8% of the time com compared uh, while they're ahead uh, compared to 66.3% of the time while trailing. That's just bulk, you know, NFL average, lumping all plays together. Um, but like I said, you don't start to see those shifts until the sec end of the second quarter, the end of the first half when teams are trying to chase points basically because there's a, a clock expiring or the fourth quarter because the actual game clock is, is expiring. So, 
uh, trail pass rates in the first quarter of 55.1%. In the second quarter, they go to 64.2%. Like I said, you're trying to get these points for half. And then coming out of the third quarter, they're 60.4%. And then in the fourth quarter, we make that gigantic leap, 77.1%. If you're trailing in the fourth quarter, teams on average are throwing over the past decade. So that's when you're starting to see those shifts, uh, you know, and then we said chasing, you know, chasing the scoreboard or, or you're driving some of that play play calling influence uh so i mean that's kind of where we are you know it's just a top down view so kind of some highlights on the team levels you know when you're talking about game script uh from last year and kind of tying that into what we can kind of anticipate you know some things kind of happening or some rever reversion to the mean as so to speak no team obviously was able to control game script last year like the Ravens did I mean they obviously they were 14 and two they trailed for just 18.7% of their offensive snaps that was the third lowest rate over the past decade mm -hmm. behind the 2013 49ers and the 2016 Patriots Baltimore led for 16 and a half percent of their plays that trailed only the 2011 Packers and the 26 the same 2016 Patriots over the past decade and because they just operated in such you know ultimate game script I mean they ran a league low 467 passing plays and now part of that is part of their offensive philosophy, but because they were never forced out of game script, they got to just do what they wanted. Uh, and those 467 passing plays were only above the 2012 and 2013 Seattle Seahawks and the hey. 2013 49ers. Uh, so, I mean, and you look at last year joining the Ravens, uh, the Vikings uh, also threw, uh, ran under 500 passing plays. So they, those two teams were just part of 14 teams to run fewer than 500 passing plays in a season over the past 10 years. Of the 12 other teams that have this few passing plays in a season, 10 of the 12 ran more passing plays the following season. The average increase among those 12 teams was 65 and a half uh, more passing plays the following season with an average of 542.6 passing plays run on the team level per those teams. Even if you want to take that arbitrary bucket 500 number and bump it up another 50 passing plays to 550 um, which would include teams like the Titans the 49ers the Steelers the Broncos the Colts and uh, the Washington football club from a year ago 86.4 percent of those teams over the past decade 51 of 59 had a spike in passing plays the following season with an average increase of 56.3 passing plays the following season so I mean you see these teams with this low passing volume a year ago we can expect a good portion of these teams to regress and cycle towards having some more negative game script or cycling towards, uh, you know, throwing more passing, having more passing volume this season. Whereas, you know, sometimes it's easy to say, take what happened last year and say, well, this team's not going to throw a lot, especially in case when you think like the Titans and the Vikings and the Titans are just a team too. That was just completely wild. Um, because they led for just 27.1% of their snaps last season. That was the fewest, uh, lowest rate of all teams with a winning record last year. The teams with their winning records last year combined to lead for 43.7% of their snaps. So you see the sizable gap there. And if you take just Ryan Tannehill starts when is considered the Titans had their hot streak, they still led for just 27.5% of those plays with Tannehill starting. Uh, so, I mean, just kind of some wild, we'll probably see some reversion. Um, you know, you think about uh, some other teams on the other end that was, that probably exceeded things. Uh, if you think about teams that won double digit games last year, the average rate of snaps trailing for those teams was just 35%, but you had the Seahawks trailed for 51.1% of their snaps. The Texans trailed for 47.1% of their snaps and the Bills trailed for 44 and a half percent of their snaps well above that league average. So, I mean, those teams probably were, 
were a little lucky in the win-loss, you know, final record than how they played over the course of the season. But that's how we can see some of the reversion, you know, kind of uh, in some teams that we might be able to expect to come closer to the base rate uh, in 2020 than how they outkicked and underperformed in 2019. Yeah, but I mean, with the Seahawks, I mean, that's just Pete Carroll, right? I mean, I don't know if you're going to get a huge jump anyway. We've been saying, right. let Russ cook and let Russ eat and let Russ do his thing for I don't know how many years now, and it just hasn't happened. Who knows, 2020, it's been that sort of kind of, that kind of year. Let Russ eat this year, hopefully, if he plays, you know, you know he wants to play, hashtag, so let's see. Uh, so we've talked about the, the, the play splits and everything. Um, let's talk about on a per drive uh, basis and the efficiencies on per drive. Uh, you've kind of highlighted that NFL, the NFL as a whole has become increasingly efficient with each possession. Um, so who are the teams from year ago that remained inefficient um, and didn't go along for that ride uh, with the efficiency that could bounce back in 2020? Yeah, so I, I've started to do a lot of per drive stuff over the past few years and just looking at per drive efficiency uh, because, you know, like we said, you, a guy like you talked about, Russell Wilson is a great example of like how efficiency sometimes dri drives value. Now, granted, it is part of the Seahawks philosophy to not air things out, but part of the reason Russell also doesn't get a lot of pass attempts is because he's so good with the few ones he does get. He's hyper-efficient, so his volume never runs wild either. Uh, but, you know, teams are just becoming really hyper-efficient at scoring per drive, and that shouldn't be a surprise given to how the NFL has trended. Uh, so over the previous uh, decade, 61.5% uh, of the teams that were below the league average in scoring rate per drive came back the following season to score more offensive touchdowns uh, than the season prior with an average increase of 10 offensive touchdowns per season among those teams. And on the flip side, an identical 61.5% of teams above the base rate scored fewer touchdowns with an average loss of nine touchdowns uh, per game amongst those teams. So some of the teams that kind of stick out, and obviously the, the Ravens are going to be a team that we won't drill on in each one of these, but what they did last year on a per drive basis was really something special they scored on 57 percent of their offensive possessions in 2019 that matched the 2007 Patriots for the high scoring rate mm -hmm. per drive uh, for any NFL team in NFL history just 10 other teams from 2000 to 2018 have scored on over half of their offensive possessions in a season the following year all 10 of those teams had a decrease in scoring rate per drive and touchdown rate per drive with an average decrease of 8.9 percent uh, touchdown rate per drive. All 10 of those teams had a drop in offensive touchdown scored overall with the overall loss of touchdowns being 14 uh, the following season. Um, so, I mean, the Ravens just scored 58 offensive touchdowns. A loss of 14 touchdowns is still not the kind of boogeyman that when you hear regression is, you know, it's not, we're not saying that the Ravens still can't be uh, in the context of 2020 offenses, a really good NFL offense, just that what went into their 2019 season was so special. It's hard to roll it over. A great example is a team like the Chiefs. They were one of those teams that had scored on over 50% of their possessions, you know, in 2018. And they crossed the board. They scored at a lower rate. They scored fewer touchdowns. Everything fell, but they were still among one of the league's best offenses. So we're not saying to run away from the Ravens, just that what went into their 29th season was ultimately special. And on the other end of the spectrum, uh, you know, no one was more kind of inefficient per drive than the Jets. Uh, no team scored on a lower rate of their possessions, just 24.1%. Um, and only the Steelers at 13.7% scored a touchdown rate at lower 
uh, lower rate than the Jets did per drive at 13.8%. So just looking at that from a, a recent historical context, uh, just 20 teams over the previous decade have scored at fewer than 25% of the drives of those 20 teams. 19 of the 20 scored at a higher rate the following season with an average increased scoring rate of 10.8%. 19 of those teams scored more offensive touchdowns the following season with the average increase of plus 14 touchdowns. Like I said, I know Adam Gase and the Jets are kind of a punching bag, you know, in the fantasy community and in the real football community as well. Uh, but, I mean, the, the Jets are kind of an objectively good bet to score them off of uh, – score more offensive touchdowns than they did a year ago in 2020. And the Steelers are as well. It's just obvious. It's easy to understand what went wrong with the Steelers uh, when you're talking about Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph and them getting Big Ben back this year, and it, people are more optimistic. But definitely the Jets, too, are a good objective bet to score more this season. Yeah, and, and with the Steelers, obviously, I think they're being priced in. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. in your, in your fancy drafts, you're seeing that uh, in ADPs and whatnot with Big Ben back. Uh, Jets, they're pretty much their value. I, I consider most of them values kind of across the board. Uh, you're looking at Jameson Crowders. You're looking at uh, our boy Chris Herndon. Uh, even Brashad Perryman, Le'Veon Bell can be um, included there as well. Um, those are guys that you're kind of seeing as values as far as I'm concerned. Do you feel that way as far as Jets are concerned? I do. I, I mean, I, I definitely look at basically all their skill players and think that they're basically priced more towards their floors. I think that there's even upside in, you know, wh- whoever, whatever happens in these boundary receivers that fill that void of Robbie Anderson, whether it be Prashad Perriman or we see Denzel Mims kind of slow burn and pe- take over towards the end of the year. I think that he's a guy to keep it, your, you know, your finger on the pulse on uh, throughout the course of the season. Uh, I definitely think Herndon is my favorite of the Jets players just based on where he goes and kind of that tight end gaggle. Uh, you know, we talked about it on the in our auction podcast that we, you and I are kind of avoiding that mid-tier of tight end ones because it's been the trap spot. And Herndon is outside of that tier and kind of fits one of these guys to take a flyer on. This was a guy that averaged over nine yards per target as a rookie. And remember last preseason, they came right out of the, the gates in the preseason. And the Jets were like running tempo and they looked like a really good offense. And granted, that is preseason, so, you know, ultimate greatest call. But Herndon was involved, you yeah. know, in, in those first couple games. And he just has a lot – he had a lost season last last year uh crowder is definitely one of those serviceable roster glue guys uh definitely you know a guy that has a really good sound floor for you and has the target volume uh, as a bet and then Le'Veon also I mean listen Le'Veon by far it, the, the problem with Le'Veon in this fit with the Jets is that his running style in this offensive line just have there's no there's no meld here I mean Le'Veon's a guy who wants to to probe the defense uh you know he does a lot of start stop I mean I know running back that I can recall in my you know, my days of watching football just completely stops behind the line of scrimmage, picks out a spot, you know, carves out, you know, a lane, but you can't do that when your offensive line is garbage, like the jets. And I know that they um, basically reshuffle this. And they're going to have three new starters, but that's also a problem too. Cause offensive line continuity is a big deal too. And it's not always these teams that we see that change their offensive line. We all is ultimately an upgrade. I mean, there, it still remains to be seen with the jets uh, and that fit, but I mean, there's not really a lot to still threaten, you know, Le'Veon's workload either. Uh, he's not a guy I've been drafting a lot, but the touch count is kind of projectable for him still. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that with the Steelers, are you out on everybody? If, if for whatever reason, big Ben's elbow isn't quite there. He's just not ready. He's, whatever reason put on the pup, are you kind of avoiding most of the Steelers? 
Now, I, I've still been pretty in on them. I know that the, the upside is still getting kind of cooked into some of their costs, but I think that there's still enough trepidation with all the Steelers players as well that there is still some value to squeeze in that offense. I mean, obviously a lot is tied on to Ben's health because right. you can't have a season where those two guys play again. You know, Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph. I mean, we've talked about it on the show a number of times that the Steelers had the, the largest decrease in passing yardage uh, per game from one season to the next in NFL history. Both of those guys proved that they shouldn't be on an NFL roster, uh, and they somehow still are. And not even that, they're on the roster of a team that they've already proved to the, they, they can't play. Uh, so, I mean, listen, a lot is tied into that. But, I mean, a lot goes into, you know, Juju wasn't healthy as well. You know, he had, you know, four different injuries during the course of last season. James Conner has really just struggled to stay on the field. Uh, but there's still – yeah, I mean, there's there's just a little upside kind of into some of these guys priced in. I mean, you can get Connor in the third, fourth round area. Uh, this is a guy that showed RB1 upside, you know, just two years ago. Juju's still one of the most precocious wide receivers in the NFL and easily can still have the most wide receivers in NFL history by the time he turns 24 years old, which isn't until – you know, Thanksgiving this year, yeah. which is wild. Crazy. So, That's I mean, and then, yeah, and then you still have Deontay Johnson. James Washington, I think, is even so undervalued, especially in these best ball leagues. He led the team yep. in receiving yards last year. Uh, you know, and, and you know, the, the Steelers, you know, use 11. They're an 11-personnel team. They use three wide receivers a lot. So, James Washington's still going to play a lot of snaps. Uh, so, definitely don't forget about him, especially in those best ball formats when you don't have to get it right. Even Ebron, I mean, you can't count him out for a 10-touchdown t- t- season if Ben Roethlisberger is playing. So, no, they've I mean, kind I, of been chasing that ghost of, you know, uh, what they were going to get out of the offense and Ladarius Green for that, you know, um, you know half, don't, half a don't season. Don't bring him up. Don't bring him I up. I mean, he looked awesome that sure. year at the Steelers. And I think that's why they drafted Claypool, too, is because he, you know, he fits he's kind of that. that, you know, that, uh, that archetype as well, even sure. though he is going to play wide receiver, you know. But he's more of an NFL Y. You know, so, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they get out of that position this year. Yeah, um, exactly. So, let's, as we, as we kind of move on from a per-drive basis, um, let's talk about uh, team yardage to touchdown rates for 2020. Um, what can you tell us about that uh, in the articles that you've highlighted? This is another fun one because it goes into, like, my projections – uh, you know, my projection model really works off of, you know, team yardage to generate like a, a team, you know, a touchdown total, and then we, it scales down to the player level. So over the past decade, uh, offensive yardage gained on a league-wide level uh, has an R squared of .6171 correlation to offensive touchdowns, and on a team basis, it's .6917. So, I mean, just kind of rough shots. That's basically saying 62% of all offensive touchdowns scored in the NFL can be explained by yardage gained. And on a team level, it's, uh, you know, 69%. Uh, very nice for you Gronkonians hey. out there. <laughs> so, I mean, over the, over the past two years, teams have scored a touchdown per yard gained uh, – at their best rate and over the past 10 seasons. And in three of the past four seasons, it's been the highest rate in league history. Just that 2017 season where, like, is this weird offensive outlier where just, like, offensive, you know, cratered. Uh, over the past 10 seasons, the interesting part of all this is you get this regression to the mean analysis. Uh, 67.5% of the 160 teams that have scored fewer touchdowns than their expected total uh, based on offensive yardage. I have come back and scored more offensive touchdowns the following season. Those teams have averaged a plus 10 touchdown increase. On the other end, 72.4% of teams that scored more touchdowns than their implied total came back the following season and scored 
fewer offensive touchdowns the following year. And last year, this thing was gangbusters. So from 2018 to last year, the top 14 teams to outproduce their implied touchdown totals from that 2018 season, all 14 came back and scored fewer offensive touchdowns last year, while 16 of the bottom 18 18 teams scored more touchdowns a year ago than the season prior. So last year, there were 16 teams uh, below touchdown expectation for the year. Uh, and 13 of those teams came back and scored more offensive touchdowns in 2019. The only teams that did not were the Broncos, the Jets, and uh, Washington. Uh, the other 13 teams on average produced nine more offensive touchdowns than they did in 2018. The Ravens were at plus 21. The Titans were at plus 19. The, Raven, the 49ers were at plus 18. Cardinals plus 14 and the Cowboys plus 13 all in the double digits and touchdown spikes last year compared to 2018. What's interesting about that is three of those teams look like outliers, the Ravens, the Titans, and the 49ers. They massively outkicked their implied touchdown total, but the Cardinals and the Cowboys actually were not even above their implied expected touchdown totals, even by being plus 14 and plus 13. The Cowboys obviously had the most offensive yards in the NFL. um, And, you know, obviously were projected for the most offensive touchdowns based on that just off yardage alone. Uh, But they actually were right on par, projected for 48 offensive touchdowns and scored 48 offensive touchdowns. Uh, And then the Cardinals were right there as well, too. So those are two teams that actually still could be among the leagues not have you know some of that negative you know poor regression towards the mean like teams like the Ravens the Titans the 49ers from really ultra hot based on how they produced last year and I was gonna say I mean even just watching the Cardinals games last year uh, when they got down inside the 10 it was it felt like it was such a struggle for them to actually find the end zone um, where they could have I mean they could have been off the charts last year in touchdowns but they obviously for whatever reason they just couldn't convert those to touchdowns. So I think they're an offense that's clearly uh, on the rise this year. Do you do you love all those pieces right now as far as their ADPs go? It's interesting because, you know, obviously Kyler has jumped basically to QB3, QB4 in a lot of fantasy drafts and, you know, for good reason. That's the hard one to bite. So you're looking right. at – Right, he plays the wrong position, uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of people – a lot of people have gotten in on, you know, Lamar Jackson – and the Patrick Mahomes angle, these year two quarterback spikes, but Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson were cheap. I mean, they those guys were lower QB ones in terms of pricing. Lamar or Kyler's already, like I said, QB three, QB four. You really have to pay the tax on him. And then, you know, our buddy Dan Pazuda on this show, you know, five or six weeks ago on misused players talked about how the Cardinals really, you know, they, they just, they ran just such an exorbitant amount of wide receiver screens and running back screens. And that's why Kyler's dot and all of his passing stats were so neutral. I mean, all his passing stats are way below league, league rates. Um, so, I mean, we need to see a little bit of a, a shift to more of that air raid offense and, you know, granted Cliff, changed his offense as the season went last year, which I think was a big plus for him because he played just personnel. And now you add DeAndre Hopkins, you get a healthy Christian Kirk back. Uh, You've got Kenyon Drake now with a full off season, you know, coming back as the the lead back. Uh, I expect this offense to to be like it was more towards the end of last season uh, and be a little bit better in totality. And then I expect them to definitely have more passing touchdowns than they had last year. Like we talked about this, all of them stall outs inside the 10, kicking all those short field goals. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Just Kyler's a little tough to buy in on. but uh you know arbitrage with the receivers right yeah well it's tough because like i said i mean even every the prices in all those guys Kenyon drake's a one-two turn guy and then deandre hopkins is typically yeah and hopkins is a 
front half two, and then Kirk is really the only value um, on the offense because what do you do with Larry Fitzgerald? You know, at thirty-seven uh, I think, I think years you're, old. I think you're, for, I think you're forgetting about the, the 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 mailman Dan Arnold. Oh, Dan Arnold, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how much just the tight end is involved, especially with them getting Hopkins. Because, uh, you know, Mad Max is still there. And he's – who would have known Cliff would be Cliff Kingsbury, of all people, to revitalize the career of Max Williams. Uh, but that right. happened last year. Um, right. He was actually number one. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you know, people grain of salt, pro football focus player grades. He was actually, you know, number one in tight end run blocking grade last year. Him and Kittle right. were, like, way above the league rates. And it was Max Williams and uh, – you'll basically use them as an offensive lineman because they had so many holes last year. I mean, he's just a sneaky good pass or a sneaky good blocker. And well, so as far as like DeAndre Hopkins goes, I mean, this guy has been a first round pick in most drafts in the last what four or five years. And now you're saying he's low end second. So, I mean, I still think there's value there. I mean, yeah, he's going from Deshaun Watson to Kyler Murray, but he's still DeAndre Hopkins. I think there's some there's there's still some uh, some value to be had and some equity to be had in in the second round. So Hopkins is an interesting case, uh, just because you know we have this you know the narrative of the wide receiver changing teams, right? And you know definitely this off season, and you know he was a guy that commanded so many targets. He's had over 150 targets. You know what, six years in a row, right? Uh, and then you know it, it, the, the the wide receiver changing team thing and player changing team thing is such a unique, you know, kind of level talk uh, talk about just because one, it's very rare that good players in the prime of their careers actually change teams. So the sample of these players is, is very small. I mean, a lot of times we're talking about guys like Mike Wallace that changed teams or, you know, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's it's typically not wide receiver one. So over the past 10 years, um, we've had 34 different wide receivers with an ADP in the top 36 wideouts that season that were on new teams. Of that group, just 12 scored more PPR fantasy points per game that year than they did uh, you know, the year prior uh, on their old teams. But what's interesting is out of that 34-player sample, just six, just six of the 34 were guys that had wide receiver one ADPs. So it's very rare that these top-notch wide receivers really change teams in the apex of their careers. It's very rare. Uh, we've had some guys like Brandon Marshall do it multiple times, and he's a guy that kind of consistently beat it, um, you know, and was one of those guys that did well. Um, and, in, and then obviously two people were burned last year. You know, you had Antonio Brown. Um, for We all know what happened there, and we're seeing it go on now. With this, <laughs> and then Odell Beckham, you know. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of people have been kind of – have really started to stock this narrative. And, you know, but we've seen guys do well. I mean, both of the Bills guys had almost career years last year changing teams. We've seen Amari Cooper get traded in season and revitalize his career a year and a half ago with Dallas. And on the, that was on the fly, not even with an offseason. So I think you have to kind of, you know, pick and probe, kind of takes all things into context. It's still DeAndre Hopkins, who is arguably the, the game's best you know, boundary wide receiver and ball, you know, using his body, body control wide receiver, also playing in the most wide receiver centric offense in the NFL. It's DeAndre Hopkins, an air raid system. Like it's hard to like ignore that either, you know? So uh, yeah, I mean, I I find myself now that he started to slip and like to the mid second round and, you know, the lower second round, I'm a little, I'm starting to get a little more interested in him in his, in where he goes. Yeah. I just, I just, I just noticed this, this, everybody is avoiding DeAndre Hopkins on Twitter. And I'm just like, all right, well, if, as long as that ADP keeps, keeps slipping, I'm I'll gobble him up as, 
as much as I can. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that, I guess. So let's, 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 let's move from the uh, yardage touchdown rate to the, what can we learn from team to touchdown dispersals for 2020? Um, we've seen that the passing touchdown, uh, passing touchdown in the league is consistent. 65-35 uh, splits um, as far as passing to touchdown scored. Um, so what are some of the outliers um, from a year ago and what can we expect maybe into 2020? Yeah, this is another thing I always look at. It definitely goes to my projections because it's, the projections definitely go to more base rate and then have some other uh, – you know, influence from like play callers and stuff like that, that goes into it. But, uh, you know, you have some of these teams that just operate in extreme outliers um, and, and no team relied on the past to score to reach the end zone more than the Jaguars last year on a team level. Uh, they had just three rushing touchdowns last year. <laughs> it was the fewest rushing touchdowns in a season for a team since 2005. They had a 24 to three passing to rushing touchdown. rate does 88 0.9% skewed towards the pass. You kind of let in. Base rate is 65%, and that's something that's held steady uh, for league rates per year, and all those league rates are in these articles, and you can go back in. Uh, it was the second highest split over the past decade behind the 2017 Seahawks, uh, who had 31 touchdowns uh, through the air to just four rushing touchdowns. That Seattle team the oh, following yeah. season went from four touchdowns on the ground to 15 the following season. Uh, if we lower that arbitrary split down to teams who scored 80% uh, of their touchdowns through the air over the past decade, there's a 2019 team sample. Uh, the 2019 Lions are also in this group with the Jaguars. Of those 29 teams, 24 of them scored more rushing touchdowns the following season with an average increase of plus 5.8 rushing touchdowns. If you lower it again to another arbitrary market, just 75%, uh, you know, that gives us a 66-team sample now, uh, and then includes the Saints and the Jets from a year ago. 60 of those 66 teams uh, had a decrease in passing touchdown rate the following season, while 54 of those teams had more rushing touchdowns the following season than the year prior. And that's part of the reason why we saw a guy like Alvin Kamara finally really have touchdown variants, like, work against him than, you know, as opposed to his first two years in the NFL. As a team, the Saints – Behind the Jaguars, 75% of the Saints' offensive touchdowns came via passing. That was fourth in the NFL. Drew Brees had a career-high passing rate, uh, touchdown passing rate last year at 7.1%. For Drew Brees to set any type of career highs, given what he's done in his career, is really yeah. saying something. Yeah. Um, and you look at Kamara's first two seasons, the Saints were uh, 31st uh, in passing touchdown rate. They were 50%, and then they were 29th at 53.5%. So they were also due for some regression as well, and it, it finally oscillated and back and then the way you know regression to the mean is not supposed to work like this but we always talk about the nfl it kind of goes haywire for these guys and we see it all the time and the saints just massively skewed towards you know a passing touchdown team last year uh but camara still out carried latavius murray seven to three inside the five yard line but the team had just 13 total rushing attempts uh, from inside the five yard line uh camara's first two years they had 33 and 20 such team attempts so, I mean, you know, the, that's how you easily see, you know, touchdown variants work against the guy. He didn't, Running back didn't have a chance to score rushing touchdowns because the team didn't get to the scoring area where running backs score touchdowns. Uh, so some other strong bets to increase their rushing totals from a year ago, kind of in that same bucket, uh, the Falcons, the Giants, the Steelers, and the Bears. Um, on the other side of the things, just one team had over half of their offensive touchdowns come on the ground. Uh, it was the Carolina Panthers. Um I did like a similar post to this uh, article last year, and it, it, it highlighted that the Ravens and the Bills were due to have more passing touchdowns 
2019 and 2018 than a lot of people were pricing in for Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. Now, I didn't have Lamar Jackson projected for 36 passing touchdowns, but it was why he was even extra on my radar outside of the rushings because I thought there was better, you know, regression for the team level of passing stats to be kind yeah. of moved into his projection than was being accounted for. And it's, you know, part of the reason why I was really on him. Uh, and then Josh Allen as well. And you've seen the year that Josh Allen had, especially from a fantasy sense. But of the 28 teams to score at least half or more of their offensive touchdowns on the ground over the past decade, all 28 had a decrease in rushing touchdown rate the following season, an average loss of 17.8%. Uh, 21 of those 28 teams had fewer rushing touchdowns overall. The average loss of 8.1 rushing scores per season. Uh, and 24 of those 28 teams threw more passing touchdowns the following season with an average passing touchdown increase of plus 8.6, which is, I think, why, you know, you see a lot of people and a lot of sharp people be in on this cocktail of the Carolina offense uh, paired with their defense and the scheme with Joe Brady, uh, that there's some value in this passing game outside of DJ Moore, uh, who's the only guy that's really priced highly out of that passing game. And, of course, Chris McCaffrey, who will probably lead the team targets, but – I mean, Curtis Samuel has a chance to, to be a value. Robbie Anderson, Ian Thomas, Teddy Bridgewater, I believe, is an undervalued QB2 uh, because Carolina sh- should be projected to have an increase in passing touchdown rate naturally and have just more passing touchdowns compared to the split a year ago. Is there, is there any other teams, uh, kind of sneaky teams, that you're looking at uh, as far as this stat goes when you're looking at 2020? Uh, I mean, definitely. The, the, so there's some teams at the bottom outside of them that definitely I think that are under, you know, undervalued. What we talked about Arizona, they were a team that just skewed, uh, you know, way heavy towards the run instead of the pass. We talked about, you know, Kyler bouncing back. Um, you know, then you think about some teams like the Rams, the the, the Rams, the the Packers, uh, the 49ers. These are all teams we can probably highlight for more of an increase of passing, you know, passing touchdowns. Uh, I also am starting to be like, I'm starting to really come around on, you know, kind of, uh, you know, this this Aaron Rodgers kind of bounce back in a sense. You know, I think mm. that he's a, he might be undervalued as like a high QB too, uh, because you know, on team level, the Packers are a team that, we're way below the, the league base rate, you know, in passing touchdown rate at 59.1%. Uh, and we've, we've seen just how much, you know, Aaron Jones had influence and we know that he's a, a scoring touchdown regression candidate himself. Uh, so, I mean, I think that there could be more passing touchdowns in Aaron Rodgers future than the, you know, the haters don't want to see. The, the haters <laughs> do not want to see it. So who, uh, if you had to bet on their wide receiver two this year, who, who are you betting on? I would. I think I'd bet on on Lazard still, and they're both those guys are cheap enough. If you want to take a shot on Funchess as well, uh, given his age and you know you know his his scoring ability as well. But I mean, Funchess is a guy that's never averaged over four receptions per game in any season of his career yet. On a adjusted yards per attempt basis, I mean, what Lazar was really hot per target. It's just that the targets weren't there. So I mean, that listen, I voiced on this. I Devonte Adams is my wide receiver one coming into the season. Uh, I just think that he has a 2019 Michael Thomas type of usage in his future. So maybe the wide receiver two there isn't even valuable on a weekly basis, just based on the, like the way, the way no guide outside of Michael Thomas was useful for the sure, saints. Sure. Uh, but I mean, I, I would still say that Lazard is the leg up, you know, right now as kind of, you know, a guy that I'd be targeting where he goes. So no, no love for ESB. I don't really know. I don't know what to think, man. I don't know what to, if he's you know, going to get pick. playing it's time. It's hard to know. It's hard to know. It All is, right. man. 
I was just just throwing that out there. Just wondering. I, just listen, I, I have no problem with anyone's – I have no pushback on anyone's dart throw that late in drafts. Right, I really right. don't. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and uh, as far as Funches goes, I think, I think we've seen what he is, unfortunately. Um, he is what he is at this point. I, I hope he can break out. But uh, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not counting on, on, on Funches anymore. So my love, my love has passed. So um, the last thing we'll talk about um, as far as the things that what we can learn for 2020 is the red zone production. So we've, we know that red zone touches are the most valuable touches um, in fantasy. Um, but why is that and why shouldn't we treat them uh, red zone, red zone opportunities as equal as touches from outside of it? I mean, obviously, you know, that in the NFL, the, the closer you get to the end zone, uh, the better chance you have a score, a touchdown. Sure. Uh, so 72.8% of all offensive touchdowns over the past decade have come from inside the red zone. Uh, that number is 73.7% over the past two seasons. But, you know, you always see red zone targets or red zone carries, uh, which is by far my least favorite of the red zone stats for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, kind of they all get lumped together. You know, a, a, a first and 19 rushing attempt is totally different than a first and goal rushing attempt from the two. Uh, you know, uh, so, but so, so nearly three-fourths of all of the touchdowns scored the past decade come from inside the red zone. 21.4% of those touchdowns are scored from the one-yard line while 46.5% are scored from inside of the five-yard line. That's the one through four-yard line. And then 72.7% of those red zone touchdowns are scored from inside of the 10-yard line, nine yards and in. Uh, you know, starting at the 10-yard line, we start to see pass attempts. They have a 20% touchdown success rate. Uh, they're 30% or higher from the six-yard line and in. Uh, rushing attempts start hitting double-digit success rates from the eight-yard line and in uh, with over 20% uh, touchdown rates uh, per carry from five yards and in. So, I mean, that's kind of the money zones. We're talking about the, if there's a red zone, that's like the gold zone or the money zone, the green zone. That's, those are the touches you really care about. Right. Uh, a red zone target from the 14, not the same as a red zone target from the six-yard line, uh, right. which we inherently know, but somehow they always keep getting grouped up together. Uh, so, you know, just kind of a few nuggets on, on, a, on a team level, you know, for some teams – from a year ago, the Titans, I mean, they ran some kind of hot, and I've talked about this before. The Titans, they ran the fewest amount of plays from inside the five-yard line last season, uh, 16, uh, but they scored a touchdown on 12 of those plays. Uh, that 75% uh, conversion rate kind of kept their volume down, uh, but only the 2015 Patriots had a higher conversion rate of plays for touchdowns inside the five-yard line over the past decade. They're at 80%. From week 7 to 17 with Ryan Tannehill as a starting quarterback, uh, the Titans scored an offensive touchdown on 26 of 30 red zone possessions, 86.7% um, over um, their, their drives that ended inside the red zone. They were held to just one field goal attempt. On those, on 30 possessions, they were held to one field goal attempt, and they had three offensive turnovers. Um, league rates over that span were 59.1% red zone scoring rate, uh, and then 30.8% uh, of those red zone drives ending in a field goal attempt. Like not not that they have like they didn't have a third down, like bat down, a play get batted down, anything bad happened. Uh, so the Titans on a team level scored a touchdown on 75.6 of their red zone opportunities. It was the highest rate in the league for a season since in the 2000s um this is while they also ranked 25th in percentage of drives to reach the red zone they were 25th in percentage of drives to reach the red zone and they were uh 
that and that rate was just 26 and a half percent with Ryan Tannehill under center, which was which was 24th. So they weren't even reaching the end zone a lot. They were just running super hot when they got there, uh, which is really unreal. Uh, and then, you know, kind of thinking the other end, and we talk about the Steelers, they were a complete nightmare. They were 31st in the NFL in rated drives to get to the red zone. They were dead last in converting those opportunities and touchdowns. Um, and then if you want to kind of expand out the teams that, you know, converted fewer than 50% of their red zone possessions, uh, league rates have been over 50% every year over the past decade. Uh, you have an 88-team sample. Uh, 74 of those 88 teams converted a higher rate the following season uh, with an average increase of 11.4%. And uh, those teams scored almost a full red zone touchdown more per game. Uh, and then keeping companies with the Steelers are the Jaguars, the Bengals, the Cardinals, Broncos, and Washington Football Club. Uh, so, I mean, those are just a couple of examples. There's a lot more of examples uh, for these, these things that we highlighted, you know, per article. Uh, if you go check out the article, so I definitely encourage that. There's a lot more bullet points and fun nuggets. Uh, those are just sharing some of the, some of the outliers and kind of the, the league-wide trends and reversion to the mean uh, nuggets that, uh, you know, you would find in those. Yeah, I mean, awesome stuff, Rich. I mean, like you said, make sure you're going out uh, over to the site and checking out these articles um, because – Rich, I mean, you brought you brought the fire today, but there's even more fire within those articles and more nuggets for everybody to get. Um, so please go and do that. Um, that's pretty much it for this episode. Um, please, please, please go rate, review, subscribe to our podcast. Um, it means a lot to us, and it really helps as far as um, being seen out there. Uh, what else you got for us, Rich? Before we before we head on out of here. So like I said, I look for that uh, big tears PDF to drop. Uh, it's, it's in the editing process. It is, it is almost complete. Uh, that will only also be for subscribers. So I mean, definitely check that out as we make that transition. Uh, and then everything, like I said, I put out all off season is still free on the site. So that make sure you go to the site, absorb all, as much of that content as you, as you want to right now, uh, because there's a lot out there and, you know, I've got a lot more coming, you know, over the next month. So definitely do that. Go to the site, you know, definitely please drop us some reviews on the site. Uh, we, we need those. Uh, so hopefully we can, we can, we can get you to, to, drop, us, to. drop us some. They're starting to, we're, we're <laughs> watching, we're watching. So um thanks again rich uh this was uh this was a lot of of you i mean this this episode was you man so thanks for all the uh the hard lifting i'll, I'll see you i'll see if i can help out next week but well uh, you you are on vacation technically yeah I'm, that's right i i came back just for just for the podcast but uh for rich rebar make sure you're following him on twitter at lord lord reebs um and then i am at chad underscore scott 13 um we'll see you next week Later.